0: Okay. uh, My name is Natalie Thurman. I'm with Northwest Guardians outside Missoula, Montana. I raise livestock guardian dogs that protect livestock from our friendly neighborhood predators like grizzly and black bears, mountain lions, gray wolves, um, all those guys. So I've been doing this for just over a decade now. When we moved here, In 2010, we had some very expensive, very small Nigerian dwarf dairy goats who are yummy snacks for our local neighbor predators and um, figured out pretty quick that we needed to have something to set them up for better success than just throwing them out in a pen and praying. So we got our first dog and then just kind of built from there. Um, A lot of our neighbors and people we sold goats to wanted us to let them know when we had puppies. So that's kind of how we got started with um, breeding about eight years ago, Um, coming up on eight years in a few months. And um, since then we've moved from Anatolian Pyrenees crosses to um, more purebreds. So I do still have one Anatolian Pyrenees dog. And otherwise we have UKC Sharploninots which is a funny word. Um, They're from from former Yugoslavia, Uh, if you wanna, I can spell that for you for later. And uh, we have AKC Anatolian Shepherd dogs. So (laughs) um, they are pretty similar in temperament. Um, Most livestock guardian dogs are pretty independent, uh, larger than your average house dog. My males are around one fifteen to one twenty, and uh, females are from about ninety to a hundred pounds on average. Mm-hmm. They are kept in what I call fighting weight, which means they're a, like slightly skinnier than you would see a house dog. But these dogs run ten acres at a whack, so they have more muscle than your average dog too. Mm-hmm. And I like. To say that they work for a living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so they I feed good food, I feed ProPlan, um, they get their vaccines, they get their checkups, but as far as you know, taking them for walks around the city or um super socializing them after that first year, I don't really mess with that. Um they can do it because I train them to just in case I need to take them to the vet for an emergency or for maintenance. But they don't, they're not like normal dogs. They don't love to go to town and meet new people. Um, they tend to be more aloof and mistrusting of strangers, which is their job. It's how they've been bred for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. It's not personal. And they are very good at their job. Their job is essentially to establish a territory on my property and communicate that territory presence to other predators. Mm -hmm. Um, So they do that by what we call marking and barking. (laughs) Um, Even the females will go pee on the fence lines and the pens and they will uh, bark when they sense something that shouldn't be there. Um, And basically all that means is they're just warning them like, hey, if you come over here, it's gonna be trouble predators are opportunistic just like most people so if they see an opportunity to come get a free lunch they'll do it and if there's a mean bark dog between them and that potentially free lunch it becomes less opportune <laughs> pretty quick so that's the goal they're not out here to kill bears or wolves um we don't encourage fighting that's not what they're really about um They are mostly here as a deterrent. Always our goal is to just prevent any conflict, just head it off and be like, this is gonna be a risk for you, Mr. Wolf, if you come in here. So that's our job. Um, The biggest way that you can support them if you have LGDs is by having enough of them, expecting one dot to be out there barking and peeing on stuff. And to keep away three wolves or a pack or a very large bear, that's not super realistic or setting them up to succeed at mm-hmm. their job. So as long as the humans do their part, the dogs are really efficient. But yeah, as long as we as the people who are in charge <laughs> do our part, the dogs usually can do their part as long as they're well-bred for the purpose at hand. And, and um. They've been probably our best investment uh possibly like matching with the tractor if you're gonna have acreage you want a tractor
1: right
0: but you also want some lgds if you're gonna have livestock <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: absolutely. So that's what i tell people i'm like they're worth it but you they do require uh, of course the initial investment up front when you buy a puppy or you buy an adult and then you do have to invest a lot of time into them They're not just set and forget. You just toss them out with the sheep and feed them once a month kind of situation. Some people have done that, in the U.S. especially. Uh, It's not the the recommended method. They do still need some direction, just like any other type of working animal. You don't expect every other working dog to go out and just know what they're doing. They take some direction from people. So it's not different with the LGDs. Right.
1: And could you tell us why you, um, you moved away from the, the Anatolian-Pyrenees crosses to...
0: Sure. So the Anatolian-Pyrenees crosses, um, I'm one of very, very few people who actually health tests them, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which means, um, x-raying the hips, checking elbows, patellas, cardiac health. Um, and I also do DNA for degenerative myelopathy and things like that. So... Um, it gets a little rough when you're trying to locate new genes for your program. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's basically Russian roulette. You don't know who who they came from, if they're actually what they're saying they are, all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. um, after, I'm on my third one right now that I still have, and after her I don't foresee adding any more, just because people lie and (laughs) you don't really know what you're getting. Pedigrees and paperwork aren't really a guarantee that you're getting everything you need either, but they're a lot closer and it's a lot better of a bet (laughs) usually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially if you go with a reputable breeder um, than the the random mixes that you can often find on places like Craigslist. (laughs) Right. So... Which is, I mean, that's how I found my first one. So I'm not knocking Craigslist. I think that everyone starts somewhere. And um, it's just in the last 10 years, I feel like the LGD market has changed a lot. And there are a lot more available dogs that are of known history, known health, that also do the job that they've been bred to do. Mm -hmm. And if you can get that, As opposed to a mystery box of dog, (laughs) obviously, I'm going to recommend that you go ahead and invest the extra, you know, couple hundred to a thousand, whatever, how much the difference is, it's going to pay dividends long term from what I've seen just with my own dogs. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten really lucky with my crosses. So, but I still see the difference between knowing who they are and where they came from versus random. Right cross dog. So, um, they still are efficient. They still work as long as they're from working parents that are in a similar setup to yours. The crosses can be great. They can also be dumpster fires. (laughs) So it's kind of like, you know, how much is your livestock worth? How much is your time worth? And at what point are you going to just keep a dog forever just because you bought it or like, even if it doesn't work out, what are you going to do with it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all those things, you know, they kind of figure into how I make decisions for my farm now. So, mm-hmm. um, it's not worth investing a bunch of my time and saving $500 on a puppy to me. Cause <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> my time is going to be worth more than that, that I spend, you know, investing in the training and the time with the dog to then learn like, Oh, he's a quarter border collie. That's why he's not working out. Um, so little little stuff like that and it's super common um you'll you'll see like anatolian great pyrenees cross but like the dad is half aussie or half healer but they're advertising it (laughs) as anatolian pyrenees cross because that's what everyone calls their dogs so um you know like anything it's, it's a risk and it's just not one that i'm comfortable with taking for much longer here um but you know, the, the pedigree dogs, they can have issues too. They can not have the aptitude or the willingness to do the job that you need them to do. That's not a unique thing to the crosses at all. Um, but if you've had you know generations upon generations living with goats or living with sheep, and you know it, <laughs> your odds are a lot better for success with that pup. Be mm-hmm. than another one that. You're, you don't really know where it came from or what it is, so it's just about hedging those bets to make yourself successful with less effort and less time. <laughs> um, Oh yeah, it's Yugoslav. It's spelled Sarplaninac. So,
1: um,
0: yeah. yeah, so like uh, Macedonia, Serbia, mm-hmm. um, that area of the the sharp the Shar mountains. Um, it's spelled S A R. P L A N I N A C, and um, they're an FCI recognized breed. They are also in UKC in the U.S. and Canada, and they they're not in foundation stock service. They're not um, even experimental. No, they're not anything with AKC. Pretty much, they would have to be sponsored or have a club. And there's no breed club, as it stands. Um, the there's not really enough interest in a breed club. I, I kind of tried, uh-huh. <laughs> there's not enough interest to actually make it run, and um, I have enough irons in the fire here that I can't both fund and operate a breed club essentially by myself, yeah. so <laughs> uh, that's not something I'm willing to do at this time, and um, it's a so the shars are. A more rare breed, um, they're the ones that you are, they follow the line of the Eastern European breeds. Mm -hmm. So the Eastern European livestock guardian dogs are a little more like sharp or hard temperament wise, Mm -hmm. Um, higher reactivity. um, They they are more willing to go get in the fray than hang back with the stock. Mm that I've witnessed that here firsthand. Um, my female that I imported from Macedonia literally went entangled with our big tom cougar a year ago, and she didn't wait for everybody else to show up. She just went in, and she got some decent scratches down her back that I got cleaned up. She was OK, but then I got staph infected because cat's claws are disgusting. Yes. <laughs> so she like lost all her hair down her back, and now she just has a couple patches. But. Um, she has no regrets. I mean, you look her in the eye and she's just like, yeah, what's next? Like, they're, they're very game for whatever comes their way. They don't go looking for a fight, but that cougar hopped in the pen and it was on. So, uh, that and that's what I like in a dog. I don't want them to go hop out of the fence and go what people consider like roaming or seeking out conflict. Like, that's not the job,
2: right. at
0: least in my view. Their job is to stay home. And if anything comes in, go ahead and take care of it. But if you can avoid conflict and just like bark them off, that's preferred, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, the Shars are, um, they're not for everybody. They're, they're tougher to um, deal with, especially if you have human ego involved. They're, they're really good dogs. They're really not for every home or every person. They will definitely test your boundaries and your resolve, um, which is not unique to them. All LGDs will. Um, The key with them is more, you know, um, just having consistency across the entire household where it's not just one person they listen to, but Mm -hmm. everyone has the same rules and same expectations for the dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a... Big deal with these guys cause unlike a Labrador who will forgive you for screwing up, these dogs remember. So mm. <laughs> they'll remember your weak spots and they'll remember like, oh, he let me in the back door and let me eat off his plate. So right. that's a, that's what we get to do now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like it's like establishing a precedent in court. <laughs> they <laughs> they will hold you to it forever if you let them. So <laughs> right. Best just not go there. Ideally, they're not supposed to be human aggressive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they will, they will bark. They will look scary. They should not jump a fence to go bite someone. <laughs> um, they also have like you know large coat. They have very large canines. They appeal to a certain type of person who. Maybe likes to compensate for other areas of their life with a large scary dog mm-hmm. um, so the more reputable breeders of Shars are aware of this fact and um, you know screen homes accordingly I get probably at least five applications a year from that though that kind of person who just really wants a scary dog to look cool and that's that's not a great home placement for these guys Mm -hmm. um just because they do think for themselves and make their own decisions Mm -hmm. the type of person who wants a dog who would maybe bite and release someone on command or you know any bite work with humans um is really not a great idea with the lgd breeds at least the ones that are traditional working line dogs Mm -hmm. because they will not let go when you tell them to let go or bite when you tell them to bite they make their own choices Mm -hmm. um they've been bred for thousands of years to make their own decisions with the shepherd there or not there you know that's that's part of their appeal is that you can be asleep and they will be working Mm -hmm. and you don't have to get up at every every bump in the night they do the job (laughs) Mm -hmm. on the same token when you like you have ideas for them to do something and they don't feel like it or they don't think that's the best idea They will also not do that. Maybe, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, the way to get them to actually listen to you and do what you say is by more building a bond with them than with straight training hours and like, you know, just hammering them with something, Mm -hmm. um, repetition is frustrating to them, not enlightening, um, they, they don't like that. <laughs> if you tell them to sit and they sit and you're like, yeah, good dog, now sit again, they kind of look at you like you're crazy. They're like, I just did that. Like, <laughs> come mm-hmm. on, lady. Um, they're Some of them are food motivated. Some of them aren't. So it just depends kind of on the luck of the draw there. Hopefully, if you get one, um, your breeder does temperament and aptitude testing so that you have a good idea of what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, most don't. So, you just kind of get a cute fluffy puppy and deal with what comes. <laughs> um, but they they're they're great dogs for the right match home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a lot of them end up being rehomed around the between twelve and eighteen month mark. Um, that's when they get more standoffish with strangers. Mm-hmm. That's when they come into their own ideas of the world and how to interact with it. Um, no, no amount of socialization with a working bread char is going to make it want to be around strange people for the rest of its life. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, they're not, they're not quite as bad as like, you know, healers that pick their A list of four people and then everyone else, they're like, I could bite you. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not like on that level, (laughs) but, but, but they, you know, some of them do get pretty close to that. They have their family that they want to be around and protect. And if you're not part of their family, you're on the, like, threatening list, you're on, you're on the predator list that they're like, I'm going to watch that person,
2: right.
0: um, but, you know, as long as you're not acting in a threatening way, they're not going to try to do anything about you, they're just going to, they do a lot of body blocking, so a lot of standing between their family member and a stranger, mm-hmm. um, especially sidelong. Like, they will just stand between you and be like, don't move closer. This person is not trustworthy. Um, things that get them escalated are obviously threatening behaviors, like a decoy would do. Um, but also, I mean, if people are uh, under the influence of substances other than <laughs> sober, mm-hmm. um that gets these dogs on a little heightened alert. Also, Mm -hmm. um, any, any strange behavior, like stumbling, slurring words, these are all suspicious things to the dogs and they will treat you accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean they're going to like come bite you, but they will definitely be like, Nope, this person's not, not safe, not okay. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And, um, some people don't uh, understand that they have like, you know, barbecues or cookouts at their ranch and, they're like the dogs don't like him when he's drinking. Like, Your dogs aren't going to like you as much when you're drinking, probably. So,
2: mm.
0: like maybe put the dogs up when you have a bunch of people getting wasted.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> it's just safer for everybody. Um, but no, they're they're really good dogs. They're it's harder to find them health tested, and some people breed them um, really off standard. Which I don't know if you care about that kind of thing, but the The standard for the char is that the males are right around uh, fifty kilos, and the the females are smaller. Um, there are some people breeding two hundred pound chars,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which I'm like, that's two chars, that's not one char. Um, and they say that you know, it, they're still chars, and. Like not according to the breed standard, but all right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a whole thing. There's there's people who believe that bigger is better, and I think in a way, like that's the people who want the big scary dog. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to actually chasing down a bear or taking on a cougar or a wolf, the big slow dog is not coming out on top of that in any situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. I want the agile, stronger, smaller dog than the dog that looks like a you know, sloppy mastiff um, mm-hmm. and can't get out of its own way. I prefer the more streamlined, functional, <laughs> working bred dogs. Um, so especially for this, I mean, they're living outdoors. They're, they're living more true to the form of what they were intended. So if you have a big sloppy dog that can't get out of its own way, can get injured that puts your livestock at at risk that puts your other dogs at risk Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um everybody has to pull their weight in the lgd pack so it's just something worth considering when you look at a breeder you know it's like okay let's compare their dogs to the breed standard Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a good prerequisite to have for sure (laughs) of course so um in europe basically all the lgd breeds trace back to what we call like molosser type dogs. Um, Theoretically, they were all bred down from wolves, obviously way, way back. Mm -hmm. And the concept is that these, you know, shepherds were really tired of losing their sheep. So they, you know, they tried to breed from the wolves to get these dogs that would defend the sheep. And essentially see the sheep as their own pack instead of letting the wolves come in. Um, There are a lot of rumors with the the Sharpanonauts' breed. For instance, that like Alexander the Great had them as his war dogs. I have not seen actual proof of this. Um, Everybody back then pretty much had large dogs that they would take to war with them. Mm -hmm. The idea that it was the same land race as the Char is today is pretty far-fetched. Um, some people also say that, you know, the Shahs were the original livestock guardian dog, which there is no way on earth to prove. Um, it, basically what it comes down to is like today, they, the Shar's have basically, they are land race. they were established in this mountain range mm-hmm. that is between Serbia and Macedonia today. Um, in that mountain range, you have shepherds who summer up on the mountains with their flocks and they winter in town. So they bring the flocks down, they um, sell off what they can, they keep back basically pen them up really tight, and then they keep everybody close to town for like this time of year mm-hmm. when the pasture is used up and then in the spring they all go back up the mountain. Mm-hmm. So you have, you're have left with a dog that has a history of both being very, you know, family centric, but also being independent and able to work up on the mountain in the good months. Um, the The current situation with the Shars, they've gone through some name changes over the years, um, both Macedonia and Serbia claim that they are the proper um, owner or origination point of the breed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big point of contention, and no one agrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, they each, even like each country over there has their own standard of what a Char is and isn't, mm-hmm. um, and the FCI standard has basically. Um, it's a giraffe, so it's like a horse built by a committee.
2: <laughs>
0: wow. um, they've tried to kind of take bits and pieces of the standards from all the different countries in that region and kind of throw them in a melting pot together mm-hmm. to get what they have. Um, the What you will notice is that the, the breed standard is more for the, what we call exhibition-type chars. So these are the dogs that look like uh, my male, Duke. They have that that beautiful long coat. They have the what we call pantaloons, like the long hair in the back, the big fluffy tail. Um, they they do appeal appear similar to the Caucasian Shepherd, even though they are not Caucasian Shepherds. Um, ideally, the head on the Shar should be very different from the average Caucasian. Um, mm-hmm that stop on the forehead shouldn't be there on the char, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. But they, the exhibition type has a lot more hair than the dogs that you will see today up on the mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've got the exhibition type, we've got the mountain type, which is more like my female, her dad came off the mountain and, um, they have shorter hair coat. They have, they come in more color variety Mm -hmm. because really the shepherds don't care what they look like, they care that they work,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: So you've got, um, the shepherds even have brindles. The shepherds have high high white marked dogs. These are disqualifications and heavy faults in the exhibition type breed standard. Mm-hmm. So you'll see things up on the mountain that you would not see in a show ring mm-hmm. in Europe. <laughs> um, so for me, breeding a functional working line of Shars, I want to see more of the working type.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't much care about their color or that they have two and three quarters inches long guard hair on their neck. That's not really my priority. My priority is do you kill lambs? Do you protect? Do you keep everything else out of the area? Um, if they check those boxes, you know, they could be purple. <laughs> um but color is not a functional trait in a dog. Mm-hmm. The color doesn't affect how they move. When you get into things like size or um, hip dysplasia, running in a line, that can affect their, you know, working life. That can affect their entire quality of life. So I want those things to be on point. But when it comes to, you know, their their coat color, they're bigger fish to fry in my <laughs> end of things. Um, and you will see some dogs that are more of the really, really dark sable. They might even look black. Um, those, they usually have the coat of the exhibition type, but they are they are higher human aggression level. Mm-hmm. These are what we call the militarized um, okay. Char Lines. Okay. These were taken when Yugoslavia came in. They were outcrossed to breeds like the Malinois, like the you know shepherds that are traditionally military dogs. Um, they wanted to keep their national heritage dog, but up the aggression, they use them to guard prisons, like prisoners of war. They use them to chase down deserters. They these dogs are not sheep friendly. <laughs> if you can, <laughs> you picture a dog that you want out with your sheep just chilling. Um, that's not the military line dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And while they are bred for a purpose, it's just not the traditional purpose of the breed. So they are really they really should be their own thing
2: right.
0: at this point. But no one asked me. <laughs> so <laughs> they all kind of get lumped under the same name. And if you can um, find a pedigree on it, they'll register it as a Char, mm-hmm. which is a whole discussion for another time, I feel like. But um, pedigrees from... Europe are exciting and not always accurate. So you just kind of have to weigh the good with the bad when you're looking at importing especially rarer breeds. You like have to just know, (laughs) be informed of yep, that's not actually the the pedigree of the animal you have. Um, That's happened to multiple friends and it's just, you know, what's more important in the end, getting the new blood in or you know, having the paperwork straight. And, um, that's a, I mean, ideal world, you'd have both, but if you have to pick one and oftentimes a lot of people do have to pick just one, (laughs) I I think I'd probably fall on the functional live animal side of things than Mm -hmm. the paperwork. But, um, it, you know, it can be tough. There's language barriers, there's different expectations. They think that Some of them think that a livestock guardian dog is chained to a fence, you know, and that's what they do. Um, A lot of them are raised in concrete kennels and rarely see the sun unless they're going for a photo shoot at the local park. Um, Many of them never meet a sheep or a goat. So it's just, it's important to, you know, be aware of the different standards of living for dogs overseas and not maybe expect that they're gonna come here knowing how we live with our dogs because it's not the same mm-hmm. at all <laughs> yeah. it's tough like look at pictures and you're like wow they are in a like it looks like a jail cell for a dog you know
2: right. and you have
0: to like remain respectful and you're like I understand you guys do it differently but it, it's hard to see sometimes um but, yeah, you can't change it. So if you want to help protect and preserve the breed, you have to kind of work with people that you might not be friends with. For the, for the Shars, the FCI standard has been updated a few times. They do it by committee. So it's not just, like, one guy deciding what is or isn't to standard. Um, and I could, I could pull it up. I could send you the link to it. It's, I think, a PDF file Mm -hmm. that anybody can find. Um, Basically, the UKC, because there is no breed club in North America,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. UKC just just basically takes the SCI standard and adopted it in English Mm -hmm. to... Basically, it's like for like they they changed kilos to pounds, right? But that's about the extent of it. Um, So you've got... um, Basically, their size range, there's, um, which I said, like, you know, there's a lot of people breeding outside of the size range of the breed, almost to double, like 150% to double the breed size standard. They used to be called, um, like, the Macedonian Shepherd, and they got changed to Yugoslavian Shepherd Dog, and now it's uh, the Sharpananats, which is what it's called today. So... Um, Dogs are from 35 to 45 kilos, so under 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bitches are 30 to 40 kilos, which is under 90 pounds. Um, And a lot of Americans will look at this and say, well, we have better food here. We have, you know, better deworming protocols. It would make sense that we get like a 10% or even maybe a 20% up. Rate on the acceptable weight range, which I mean, yes, that if you're feeding top food, that makes sense. Um, you'll also notice that the sh- the dogs that actually are in the show ring in Europe for the Shars mm-hmm. are above this weight, and they're they're not super strict on it. Um, I've been told by even a FCI judge that there is no top weight limit for the breed. Mm-hmm. So when I read the standard here <laughs> and it gives an acceptable weight range and then a judge is telling me there's no maximum. Um, that's a little weird, but you know, whatever. Ooh. I'm not gonna argue with someone who is from there about their dog. Right.
2: <laughs>
0: like I'm not I'm not Macedonian, I'm not Serbian, I don't really have a dog in that fight. I just want working functional dogs. That's all I want. That's mm-hmm. what I've ever wanted as far as the actual breed standard goes they they want the dog to be balanced they want robust um they want a heavier bone structure mm-hmm. than the average dog of its size um which adds like an appearance of more substance to the dog than you would get from the same weight a dog who is more fine bone um mm-hmm. They they want the like the thick long coarse hair for the guard hair. Um, they want basically the dog to, to stand clear. They don't want like the German Shepherd like angula- angulation. They don't want that. They want them to be you know level. Um, the idea that the dog is fearless is a big deal. For people in Europe, Mm -hmm. they don't want a dog that is unsteady or would shy away from conflict.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, They want protective, but not snappy. So they don't, again, they don't want that dog that's going out and seeking out trouble, but they don't want them to shy away from trouble if it comes.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Height, you're looking at like 62 centimeters average for males and 50. eight for females um basically if the male is under 56 centimeters or the bitch is under 54 they're not eligible for breeding so this is where we have we have a minimum standard but we don't have a, a top end standard on the height of the dog right.
2: um
0: again weight 35 to 45 kilos and females 30 to 40 kilos um they are one of the smaller breeds of livestock guardian dogs across all of Europe and Asia. Mm-hmm. They, are, they just are supposed to be smaller, mm-hmm. um, which means they're you know usually quicker and they you know can move really well. Mm-hmm. Um, they want the the body length a little bit longer than they are high at the withers, and they do. They do want, um, a a pretty balanced dog, slightly rectangular, not square. Like you'd see like a boxer, for -hmm. example, Mm -hmm. um, they're a little longer. They want the head to not have a stop. They want it to be like a, a smooth crown. Um, they, they want the skull to be broad with a groove in it Mm -hmm. in the forehead. Um, they, like, they if they have, like, a severe stop, like you would see on some of the, like, you know, St. Bernard Mastiffs, um, mm-hmm. those guys, that's a fault. They don't want to see that drastic hard stop. Um, they want a shorter muzzle than the skull, so they, they don't want them super snouty. They want the muzzle back
1: mm-hmm. not
0: as long as the skull is. Um, they want a broad black nose. Um, Winter nose is acceptable for like browns or even pinks out in the winter months, but it needs to come back to a full black for summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do want thick, tight lips, not the loose, um, jowly look. Mm -hmm. And they do want them to be black. Uh, Lack of pigment is a fault. They want you to have a scissor bite. So all the teeth fit together really tightly Mm -hmm. and they want full dentition. They don't want missing teeth or, um, you know, growing in sideways. Any, any of those sort of faults with the mouth are bad. Mm -hmm. Um, they want tight and almond shaped eyes. They do not want the drooping lower lids. They don't want to see any cherry eye. Cherry eye is pretty rare where you get like that third eyelid that's just swollen and engorged in there you have mm-hmm. to surgically correct that um they they want you to have a piercing gaze but not show fear and all of the eyelid and the connective tissue needs to be black so no no pink in there it needs to all be black and fully pigmented um they want their ears to be um from the tip of the nose through the inner corner of the eye to then hit the ear like they want that that linear path to hit your ear they don't want the ears to be super short Mm -hmm. um they also want them to be v-shaped and dropped never pricked ears never rose ears um so they and they do want the short dense fur on there they don't really want the frilly fuzzy ears Mm -hmm. that you like would see on a Caucasian commonly if they kept their ears. Mm -hmm. Um, their, their neck, they want straight, um, slightly convex is fine. They, they do want the head to be carried slightly above the line of the back. So they're not arched up really high, but like a slight increase is what they're going for there. And they don't want the dewlaps on the neck on the underside they don't want that that kind of stuff happening which you will notice you'll see in the larger types of shars Mm -hmm. um when they're like you know 180 pounds they do have those do laps they have that looser jaw the droopier eyes a lot of these things you you would notice are not present on what some people are looking for in a shard today Mm um they they want the top line to be either horizontal or sloping towards the croup. They, they don't want an uneven dog. They want a pretty even keel.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they they want a straight and broad back. They don't want them super long or super short. Um, basically, they want, a, they want a really deep chest. Um, that's a function of being able to run when they need to. They need that lung space. Um, they need to have a tucked belly, even if you don't see it through all their guard hair. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have a tuck in there. Um, and they basically, they, they want a, a well-muscled dog. They don't want, you know, you don't want a, you know, a, a super skinny dog, but you do want them to have the, the condition to go work mm-hmm. is what they're after there. Um, the, the tail is long and it goes at least to their hawks. Some of them will like touch the ground, like they're very long tails. When they're alert, they they curve up over their backs. When they're at rest, they kind of curve a little bit like a saber sword towards the back. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Not super um, up all the time like some Anatolians you'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, they, they have their own idea of like, they want a balanced dog that's not sloppy right like that's that's basically what the standard is um it's harder to find a dog with all the traits obviously that are in the standard mm-hmm. i'm a pretty firm believer that there is no perfect dog out there
2: mm-hmm.
0: um my male that i started with was a little more sloppy like a, in the mouth he he had looser lips than i would have liked um he has the good coat that they want but as a farmer i can tell you that you don't really want that coat on a working dog especially if you have like weeds on your property anywhere Mm -hmm. which i think we all do um the the pants the the main area the under under their uh abdomen like all that will just fill with burrs if you let it Mm -hmm. so it becomes a issue of like you know you have to groom these dogs and if they're supposed to be with the sheep, you're not going to be grooming them, Mm -hmm. ideally. Like, you want a dog that can just go work. So, um, basically, they and they do want um, solid color dogs. Sable is normal. They can be solid white, like a Pyrenees. Um, They can also be dark brown, almost black. Um, They prefer the gray colors to them, Mm -hmm. which... Is just um, basically sable type. And they um, they can show like little white markings, like uh, on the chest and the toes, mm-hmm. but they don't like that. And whereas you can have a solid white dog, but they don't really want the white markings. And you get those white markings and you bring a white dog to a solid colored dog, it just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so. If you have, like, you know, full socks of white or um, their underbelly is a lot of white, that's a serious fault.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just for the show ring, obviously. The wolves don't care. Um, so, yeah, basically, the any any departure from any of that is considered a fault in the breed. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to find very many dogs that don't have some faults, according to the standard. Um Getting the consistency that a lot of breeds have is tougher with these older land race breeds because they they don't have a whole lot of consistency to begin with. Mm. they you know, it's it's up to the preference of the breeder rather than like an entire consortium of people who have come together for over a hundred years to agree to a consensus of what the ideal is. Um Even with SCI standard, I haven't met anyone who thinks that this standard is ideal or perfect, you know? So, (laughs) everyone kind of has their own idea of what a shark should and shouldn't be, Mm -hmm. and they kind of just make their own way with that. They're they're not really concerned so much with the standard, Mm -hmm. which can be good and also can be bad. Um, I personally, I like a tighter eye Mm -hmm. because that's a functional issue. Um, you're not getting as much debris in there. That's better for the dog. Um, I like the balance, the body type to be a little longer than they are tall. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I don't agree with the coat lengths. Um, they have a it, it's a disqualifying fault if you have hair shorter than seven centimeters at the withers. Uh-huh. So. I don't think that that is an important trait. (laughs) So like my female would be disqualified on those grounds, um, from show, which boohoo, I'm not showing her. It's fine. But, um, you know, um, the extended white markings and brindle patterning are also disqualifiers where in the field that doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Um, my, belief from what I've heard is that the Brindle being a disqualifying fault is to prevent the incursion of the more, not just any, but more um, Turk influence. And also the uh, Krakachans are also coming from Hungary, come in Brindle as well. I think it's their effort to try to isolate the Shars from any other outcrossing.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um, which I, I understand the fact of the matter is there are brindle sharks on the mountains <laughs> um, and there, there have been for, you know, since there's been photographs up there. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not like, it doesn't necessarily mean that there would be new incursion into the breed, but I believe that's the sentiment there behind mm-hmm. disqualifying them as they're trying to prevent any further outcrossing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there are carabash dogs in the shars which is the the tan black mask which mostly gained popularity when the ottomans came through mm-hmm. you know 200 years ago so we we do ha- we do have the influence and the breed of other breeds mm-hmm. <laughs> from other countries that are
1: with the breeze Just like the leaves On the trees And gone all the times With your family With your family You left life behind You knew They had you never inside But there was no way That you would compromise No compromise You come with the breeze But you'll always be You come with the breeze, just a memory of those times. You come with the breeze, but you left a lot of people that love you. You come with the breeze, but we'll remember you. You stood against life, and you will never hide. You stood face to face with the enemy. Yeah,